If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. I think a lot of us are kind of taught as we're growing up to not quit things like quitting is the worst thing that you could do. And, and in fact, winners quit all the time. They don't quit the wrong stuff, but they realize when something isn't clicking with them or driving with them or right for them. And they say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to move on to something that gives me energy instead of drains energy. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Mind Valley is bringing you the most advanced education in the world. If you are a member of Mind Valley, know that you're going to get access to all of this for less than $2 a day. See, most schools like Harvard charge thousands of dollars for a college education, and we think this is rubbish. We know that in five years from now, you will be better equipped when you get to study from the likes of the incredible teachers that we bring on the Mind Valley platform with the curriculum design, the amazing storytelling, and the technology that really enables you to truly transform. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member of Mind Valley. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. If this is the first time for you listening to this podcast, you definitely want to be able to subscribe, follow whatever platform you're listening to, and even leave a review if you've highly enjoyed this episode, because we'll be releasing two and sometime bonuses episode on a regular basis where you're going to learn about all the skills you need to be a superhuman at work, productivity, communication, leadership, and so much more. And today, we're going to be talking about a skill that my generation hasn't actually been updated for, and I think no generation has been even prepared for. A shift has happened on the way that we acquire work. I can think back in the day when I was going through schools telling us, hey, you need to prepare your resume. You need to have a good cover letter. You need to show up to interviews, request for interviews. Yet now the internet has changed the dynamics a little bit. Employees are expected to have a profile and a personality online. Companies are also being reviewed online. What has happened to the landscape and how do we go out there and not waste our time and find ourselves being able to get the most amazing opportunities to work for the greatest companies we never thought we might have access to? This is why Austin Belsack is going to be joining us and sharing this amazing information with us because he is a career coach, a writer, a keynote speaker, and the founder of Cultivated Culture. 
His strategies have been featured on Forbes, Business Insider, Fast Company, and USA Today. The man has helped thousands of job seekers land job offers at companies you might have heard of, such as Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, Uber, Spotify, Deloitte, Accenture, Tesla, SpaceX. Ooh, I need to talk about the SpaceX. And his unique approach really teaches people how everything has changed, how you can take advantage of this change and really succeed in your career and in your venture because of this new landscape. Austin, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you. Jason, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Now, you, I've discovered you actually through LinkedIn. And a lot of our followers have been learning about the powers of LinkedIn. And I kind of want to go to the original story here. So you've been helping a lot of people to find these jobs. Like, How did you find yourself finding this magic formula that you get to apply and use for other people? Is it something that you've struggled with yourself? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with your intro there with the changing landscape, right? I think the best place to start is going back to you know childhood. So right when you can walk and talk, you're asked the question, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? And it's exciting when you're a kid, right? Because you can say anything, you know, construction worker, or I want to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo, or, you know, I want to be an astrophysicist. I want to work at SpaceX or be the next Elon Musk. And everybody's like cheering you on and you're getting all the support and you can do anything you put your mind to. And then we grow up. And what happens? Well, the question persists, but the scope of acceptable answers really narrows. And all of a sudden, you know, you don't want to be the next Elon Musk. You just want to be a writer. And everybody's like, well, why don't you pick something a a little bit more realistic or something, you know, you're never going to get a job doing that. And that's one, a bummer. Two, it's frustrating. But then there's this other element where as these people are sort of narrowing the scope of acceptable options, there isn't an opportunity for exploration. It's not like they're saying, hey, that's not a good option, but here are some ways for you to go figure out what is. It's just, no, we're just telling you what you can't do. And so what happened with me is as I got older, I was sort of funneled into that same decision. And by the end of it, when we get to the point where we're actually serious about making a career choice, I think college is where universities, where that happens for most people. Sometimes it happens in high school. But you look around and you sort of have this menu of TV careers, if you will, you know, doctor, lawyer, accountant, you know, you could be an investment banker, these things that are familiar because you've seen them or heard them or your friend's parent is one of those things. And so that's what I believe most of us feel those are our options. And so for me, I chose doctor because, you know, I took one science course in high school and and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, what can I do with this that's on the menu? And doctor was there. And that really wasn't what I wanted to do, but it made my parents happy. Their friends would nod with approval. My teachers and my professors would all be excited. And so that's what I went into the higher education experience, you know, that was my goal that I had in mind. But I quickly learned that there was a lot more going on than academics. And so I wasn't the best student. I focused on other things, more social aspects of university. And I ended up failing a lot of classes. And that was frustrating for a couple of reasons. One, I felt like when you get to college, you're supposed to study what you like, but here's this thing that I thought I might like, but other people are forcing me to like, and therefore it's not as interesting as I thought it might be. But on top of that, again, I didn't know what else was out there. It wasn't like there was a course on 
exploration or a course on even like how to manage your credit score or how to rent an apartment and all of these things that are critical to succeeding later in life, they just were absent from the academic experience. And so I felt almost underwhelmed or let down by rather my school. And so that was not a great place to operate from. And essentially, to keep a long story short, I graduated from college. I didn't apply to any jobs. I didn't interview any jobs. I essentially got one internship and got an offer from that place. And I accepted it sight unseen. And I realized that that was not for me. And we can talk about that in more detail if you'd like. But I knew I had to make a change. And I was working in healthcare. I had a biology degree. I had bad grades. And I wanted to work at Google or Microsoft. And over the next couple of years, I essentially went through the same issues and trials and tribulations that most job seekers go through, which is exactly what you said, Jason, where you're tweaking your cover letter, tweaking your resume, applying for hundreds and hundreds of jobs and not really hearing anything and not understanding why you're not hearing anything. And that's a tough place to be. So I decided to jump ship from that process and go create my own process for job searching. And what I decided to do was find people who broke into these tech companies who came from a non-traditional background or who found innovative ways to get in the door. And I talked to as many of them as I could, and I learned the common threads through their stories, as well as, you know, I was able to cherry pick some of their strategies and tactics that I thought would play into my strengths. And I leveraged that. And really what it came down to was finding connections, building connections, and then finding creative ways to illustrate your value that were a lot more clear and effective than a resume. And so I did that. And that resulted in interviews and offers at Microsoft and Google and Twitter. And shortly thereafter, I accepted at Microsoft. I, I was there for five years. But right after I joined, all these people came out of the woodwork. And they were like, Austin, you know, weren't you the person who had horrible grades and didn't know what you wanted to do and hated school? Like, how the heck did you end up at Microsoft? And so after the 20th or 30th person asked me that same question, you know, I figured, hey, there might be something here. And so I wrote a blog post and I basically shared the whole system. And you can still see it on my site. It's pinned to the top of the blog. And it's called How to Get a Job Anywhere with No Connections. But that had the whole system and it resonated with a lot of people. And that was four and a half, five years ago. And the rest is kind of history. We spent the last five years building up and kind of refining and expanding that system for people across the world, across industries with different goals. So it was definitely born out of personal experience that was not so enjoyable at the time, but you know, obviously led to this awesome thing that we're now able to share with a lot of people. That is incredible, Austin. And I'm, I have to say, I'm glad you went through those struggles because I know now you've been able to share that system so you don't have as many people that need to go through these kinds of struggles because they can learn from you. You've touched on two things that I wanted to go deeper on. Of course, how did you get that job at Microsoft? We'll get to that in a bit. But you also talked about this whole like cookie cutter model of finding the types of careers we want in our life. And I remember maybe, no, this was definitely at the end of my high school term, is where I had to pick my career. And I remember at the time I had like an interest and a passion in motorcycle riding. So I found myself wanting to be a motorcycle mechanic. You know, I was 16 years old and I was like, this sounds really cool. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, I need to go into one of those career path chosen. I did like the survey and it was like, oh, maybe I could go into computer engineering. And what I find myself doing now, as I'm doing these podcasts, I've went into online marketing. I've seen myself being an interviewer. None of this was even in the scope of things that you could possibly do. And so I was gonna say, one of the things I feel has been changing is the types of jobs that are available. So what do you recommend for people who aren't even applying for jobs right now? They're just trying to discover like, what do I even 
like? And should I just be picking the lawyer, accountant, doctor? Where else can I have more discovery about what could be a potential passion? Definitely. So there's really two steps here. And the exploration is so huge because that's looking back. People always ask you, what's your biggest regret? And I would say, truthfully, mine is not taking more of the time that I had in college to get out there and explore. Because as I'm sure that you found too, once you get involved in this stuff, if it's your thing, like clearly interviewing and online marketing like that is something that you're passionate about that you enjoy. And that's true for me too. And so as soon as I found that, I felt that feeling, that kind of drive and that light bulb and it, it all clicked into place. And so whatever that is for anybody listening, you need to get out there and you need to find this stuff when you have the time to do it. And if you're in school, that is the best time to do it. If not, that's totally fine. You can still figure this out. I had to do it when I was working a full-time job. But the biggest thing to understand is this myth of passion or this sort of, it's not necessarily a myth, but it's misconstrued in the sense that we're taught that passion is something that is innate or is going to hit you like a lightning bolt in the middle of the night. So you suddenly leap out of bed and you're like, oh my God, I was meant to be a computer engineer. Or I was meant to create amazing graphical interfaces for users. And there's just no way that you could do that without ever having done the actions that go with that job title. And it's kind of like, you know, pineapple on pizza or dipping your fries in a Wendy's Frosty. Like those can be amazing combos to certain people, right? But some crazy person had to actually like dunk the fry into the Frosty. And so what's happening there? Well, that person, they took a little bit of a risk, not really when you think about it, but they took action. They went through with it. And I think that's the piece that most people don't understand is that passion typically stems from action and it's not the other way around. You don't get passionate about something and then you act on it. Instead, you act and you figure out your passion through those actions. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think so many people also have analysis paralysis or fear of failure where they're so worried about wasting time. We don't want to go down this path because heaven forbid that it doesn't become our dream job and we're not making the money we want to make and being as fulfilled as we want to be. But the problem is, you know, I was actually just sharing this analogy earlier today. Like if you look at baseball sports analogy, apologies for that, but the best hitters, they're at like a 33% hit rate. Essentially, if you look at their batting average, like 0.333 is insane. Whereas, you know, most of the average people in the league are around 200 and these are like professionals. And so they're swinging at pitches, they're swinging at pitches, they're letting pitches go by, they're taking strikes more often than not, they're missing and they're quote failing because their goal is to hit a home run and they're failing most of the time. And so if that's happening for them, what does that mean for us? And I think we can use that as an example, because in most cases, you're going to take swings and you're going to take cuts and you're going to miss, but that's going to lead you to the home run. That's going to lead you to the thing that is going to be impactful and the thing that you're passionate about. So what does that look like? How do you do it? Well, step one is pretty straightforward. You just go out there and find people who are doing things that you think are interesting at any level, it could be, hey, this person works for Google and I think Google is cool, so let me reach out to them. Or, hey, this person moved to Bali to start a business that they work from anywhere in the world and they chose Bali and they create their own income. That's interesting to me. Let me reach out to that person. Or this person does the music for Broadway plays. That's what I wanna do. Let me go talk to this person. So just going and finding people who are interesting to you for your own reasons and your own criteria. And it can be helpful to go through some of those personality assessments, right? If you wanna do Finder or the High Five Test is another great free version of that or any of those 
they'll give you a baseline, right? They'll give you an idea of, you know, here is somebody else kind of telling me about myself. So I have something physical to reference. I think a lot of the times we know these things about ourselves, but we may not have that level of clarity or that level of ability to reference. That's a great starting point, but really getting out there and just listening to your heart and your gut and saying, hey, this feels right. Let me explore this more. And again, when you're reaching out to these people, many of them won't reply. Many of them will tell you things that you probably wish you didn't hear about your dream path. And that's great. You're checking things off the list. And eventually you're going to find something that is really interesting to you. And when you find that thing, what you need to do is take that action. So how do we do that? Well, the best basically test that I found is something that one of the people in our community created for himself as a side project. And he called it month to master. And essentially what he did was he picked a skill and he said, okay, I'm going to set a goal for myself. That is a stretch, but it's not unreasonable for 30 days. And I'm going to pick a skill. I'm going to set a goal and I'm going to work to hit that goal. So for example, he, this is a great one, but he said, okay, I want to learn data science and I have 30 days. So what am I going to do? I'm going to create an algorithm that automates. It's basically a machine learning algorithm that automates my Tinder profile and only swipes right on profiles that match my criteria for the partner that I'm looking for. And so that's exactly what he did. He took courses. He went out there and learned from people. He put in the work and eventually he created this algorithm. But he also gave himself permission, you know, at the end of 30 days, I'm going to stop this project. Now, for him, that was a little bit of a different goal. But for us, as we're exploring, like, I think 30 days is a really good period for us to say, like, hey, I actually gave this a decent chance. I gave this 30 days. I gave it 100%. If I'm not loving it, I'm going to give myself permission to quit and move on to the next thing. But if I am loving it, maybe I'll go another 30 days with a new goal. And so if you create these, I sort of call them mini pilots, but if you, let's say, decide that marketing is interesting to you and maybe specifically SEO, search engine optimization, maybe you have 30 days to build a site and try to rank one article within the top 50 on Google or whatever it is. And you come up with this goal after doing a little bit of research. And then after 30 days, if you hated that process, by all means, give yourself permission to quit and move on to the next thing. But if you loved it, then let's go deeper. Let's set a bigger goal. Let's continue on for the next 30 days. And by doing that, you're taking the action to explore. You're giving yourself space to explore multiple channels, but you're also giving yourself permission to stop because I think a lot of us are kind of taught as we're growing up to not quit things. Like quitting is the worst thing that you could do. And in fact, winners quit all the time. They don't quit the wrong stuff, but they realize when something isn't clicking with them or driving with them or right for them. And they say, okay, I'm done with this. And I'm going to move on to something that gives me energy instead of drains energy. So long answer to your question, but really, if you want to figure out that path, you need to get out there and explore. You need to take action because that passion is just not going to hit you like a lightning bolt in the middle of the night. That's incredible. Thank you for all the insights in that. And I love this part at the end where you talk about how quitting is actually a good thing. Even the winners quit. And I can just think about Michael Jordan could have become the most average baseball player if that's what he wouldn't have quit and decided to go into basketball. I think that's what the reference is here. And for those of you listening, you know, I find it's fascinating because the landscape has changed. But what you hear from Austin here is that these changes are actually quite positive. I think today more than ever, you have the opportunity to find the information, to find the education, to learn that new skill. And if you decide to take on this 30-day challenge for yourself, 
on just identifying what is that skill you want to nurture, go deep into it. There's so much content we can find online. Most of the courses you can even find for free. And then you can go deep into it, be able to do one pilot project. It's really inspired almost like the MVP models you hear from the startup community, which is having a minimal viable product. Yeah, here it's almost like a minimum viable skill. I can make you discover if this is something you want to go into. And of course, passion leads only after your action has been taken. And so if you go out there and take these micro actions that allow you to have more discovery, connecting with the right people, finding more people in the industry, finding more people that work at the current place that you're looking to go, this allows you to have more discovery that's outside the box. And I have to add my own here, Austin, because I remember growing up in Canada, I'm from a very small village in Canada and I went to the University of Ottawa. And I remember when I was trying to make some career choices, like in my head, the only thing that existed and that I knew, I was like, oh, I'm bilingual. I speak French and English. This gives me an advantage to find a job in my local community in, in Ottawa, maybe on the Quebec side, which is just, that was the world that I knew. And one of the actions that I ended up being very lucky taking was to do a student exchange. I found myself going to do a semester abroad, which then opened up my mind to what the international community looks like, what possibilities exist around the world. And I don't think if I would have done that step, I would have even found myself being able to get a dream job at Mind Valley, which was based in Kuala Lumpur, because my frame of reference was so narrow to the local community and area that I was at. And so as you go out and connect with these different businesses and open your horizon to the possibilities of what you can work in, you can also expand today on where you can work. And I think this is the most powerful time to be able to really land the type of job that we want. Which brings me to the next one here, which is all about, okay, I've done some exploration. I'm getting a bit more clear. Maybe this marketing path is what I want to do. Maybe being a date doctor is what I do. Although that's a funny example, given that your friend built an algorithm. No, let's say I've decided that I want to be, for example, a computer engineer, or I've decided to become a machine learning expert. Now I know there's some amazing companies out there that exist. And it seems like all the advice out there will say, just throw spaghetti on the wall, apply to as many jobs as possible and just see what sticks and you know, hope you get one. Is this process still relevant or is there the better way? Definitely. There's a much, much better way. And you alluded to this in the introduction to the episode, but essentially the internet has sort of helped these companies create their own monster in the sense that, you know, before the internet existed, people applied for jobs in a very, very different way. And now these companies realize with the advent of the internet, we can create this technology that allows us to source applicants from everywhere. And so therefore we can hire the best person, whether they're in New York or whether they're in Bali or whether they're in Dubai or whatever it is. And they thought that was great, right? So they put that out there and all of a sudden they get an influx of applications and they need some way to manage that. So they start creating these pieces of software or hiring or licensing software from companies who have created it. It's called an applicant tracking system. And so essentially what happens is when you press submit on an online application, a piece of software scans your resume and it looks for specific skills and specific keywords and specific experience. So if you don't have those specific skills or keywords, what happens is your resume will essentially be moved to the bottom of the pile, so to speak. So when recruiters are looking for candidates, they search for specific skills and keywords. And some of these tracking systems even have the ability to score and rank those resumes based on their algorithm. Long story short, if you don't have the right stuff in your resume, you're likely to just never be seen by a person. And the problem with that is twofold. You know, one, if you don't know about that and you're applying online, 
great candidates get passed over all the time because they haven't optimized for those systems. And, you know, in my opinion, you shouldn't really have to, but that's the game. But on top of that, if you're a non-traditional candidate like myself, if you're trying to transition industries or you didn't come from a brand name school or whatever it is, you're going to have a really hard time standing out because it's just a lot harder for you to have the right keywords when you're trying to work in tech, but you're coming from healthcare, right? Your resume doesn't allow you to make that transferability very obvious. And so what happens? Well, essentially, a lot of people come into the top of the funnel. A lot of people apply and only a handful come out. So when you look at the data, that tends to be about 250 to 300 resumes in the top end. That's how many applications there are. Only about 2% of those people end up getting an interview. And that's a really bad bet to make. But the problem is job seekers just keep coming back for more because they don't know of another process or another system. And that's really where cultivated culture comes in. And that's really where my experience comes in. So what I learned was that when we think about, I guess the best place to start is just the fact that job searching is a sales process. It's a sales and marketing process where you are the product and everything that you do, your resume, your cover letter, your networking, that's all you marketing yourself, you marketing the product. When we view it that way, the game changes. It's no longer, you know, how can I write the best resume? But it's more so how can I show the person who makes the decision that I'm the best investment? Because that's essentially what salespeople do. And when we think about hiring, a hiring manager opens a role and they have some sort of value in their head. You know, let's say that it's 10 points or whatever it is, arbitrary number. They are looking for things that, you know, qualifications, experience, things that add up to 10 in their head or whatever that value is. And in most cases, you know, there's the familiar stuff, you know, hey, you got a degree from this school. So that's one point, but it's also in the same industry. So that's two points. And you also have five years of experience at a company in our industry. So that's four points or whatever it is. And now we're at six points. That is how they're thinking about it. But that doesn't mean that those traditional qualifications are the only way in the door. Instead, it's sort of, you know, going back to algebra from, you know, much earlier on in life, there's many ways to get to X. There's many ways to get to 10 points. So if you don't have the traditional degree from the brand name school, and that's worth five points, let's say, you just need to find another way to show five points worth of value. And that's actually never been easier than it is today, which is, so awesome once you understand it. I think a lot of job seekers get so frustrated by that process. And what they don't realize is that the process is actually, because it's so broken, it's creating an opportunity for them. And so if they're willing to step outside of the traditional bubble and the traditional path, and they're willing to say, okay, I don't have this experience. Let me go create it for myself. Or, you know, I know this company views this as valuable. Let me go do this my way that is such a more effective way of showcasing what you bring to the table. So really what it comes down to, I talked about the data for online apps. People always then say, well, if nobody's getting hired when they apply online, where do they get hired from? And it really comes down to connections and referrals. So when you look at that data, referrals only make up about 10% of applicants out there, but they make up around 40 to 80% of hires, depending on the company and, and the role and the industry and some other factors. But 40%, for a hire is much better than 2% for an interview, which doesn't even guarantee you the offer. So focusing or allocating your job search time accordingly is a mistake that a lot of people make. They sit and spend 90% of their time on online applications when they only have a 2% chance of getting in the door. And then they spend 10% of their time on networking, which they usually don't do very well. 
not their fault at all. I think going back to your point before, we're just not really taught how to do it effectively. But they spend 10% of their time on that. And that's where 40 to 80% of the hires are coming from. So that's the first place that we start with anybody who comes into the audience, into the community, just kind of enlightening them to those facts. And then we focus on a system that's really aimed at how can I build relationships with people who make the decisions for these roles? And how can I find creative ways to showcase my value to you know, get my five points or my 10 points? And how can I do that in a way that is relevant to what the company is looking for, shows that I know where they're at and where they want to go and uses you know, my background and my skills as supporting evidence for why I'm the right person to do that. So those things are the two core tenets of the system. And when you implement that, when you go after the job search that way, you see so much more success. And on top of that, there's so many ancillary benefits. You build your network, you gain a lot of connections that you know you may not have gotten a job at their company, but you have them in your network because you connected with them, you had an informational interview, or maybe you had a formal interview. And that person is somebody that you can keep that relationship going with, and you can tap into them down the road. And you also learn how to sell yourself. And I think one of the core components without getting too into the weeds is something that I call a value validation project, which is essentially a proposal for what we talked about. Here's what I know about you. Here's me showing you I know where you want to go. And here's me offering some value in the form of ideas or solutions or whatever. That came out of my freelance experience. I know you have a lot of freelancers and entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast. That came out of my freelance experience trying to win more clients over people who had more experience than I did. And that translated so well to the job search. So If we take a step back and think about why companies really hire and we kind of peel back all of the red tape and all of the BS and this old system, it really comes down to who provides the most value, what candidate is going to drive the highest ROI. And when you look at it that way and you say, throwing everything out the window, how can I show that I will drive the best ROI? The options are blown wide open. You have so many channels that you can go down. And I think more importantly, you can focus on the channel that plays to your strengths instead of trying to kind of smush yourself into this channel that may or may not feel good. So that's what we advocate for it. And that's the process that we're really seeing excel in today's market. Incredible. Yeah, I do understand the power of the relationship building is essential. I mean, I look at all the employments that I've got, there's always been like one kind of connection, or at least something I could make a reference to. Even when I applied to Mindvalley, it was very interesting for me, I ended up seeing one of their email sequences said you could visit the office, just have a tour of their office because Mindvalley has one of uh, Southeast Asia's most beautiful offices. So I decided to take a flight down to Malaysia. This is why I was based out in Thailand, which is so close, right? So I was like, why not? This looks awesome. There's going to be some cool people. I end up going into the office and doing a tour. And this was interesting because I didn't do some very heavy networking, but the person gave me the tour. And when I finished the tour, the person says like, hey, you sound pretty cool. You should definitely apply for a job here. And at the time I already had employment, so I wasn't really looking, but circumstances had that. The universe sometimes does some crazy things to kind of point you in the right direction if you didn't listen the first time. So I'd open my laptop. And then when I looked in, there was an email from my current employer just saying, hey, I need you to relocate back to Ottawa, Canada, or else I'll have to let you go. And I was like, well, that's a pretty dry way of letting me know you want me to relocate back. And I was in a moment of frustration, maybe I was emotionally charged. I was able to apply to Mindvalley right then and there. And I think what might have been a bit of an advantage is when I wrote my email to them, 
following the processes I need to follow to get the job. I told them that one of the first lines was like, Hey, I just visited the office and I'm really glad that I was able to have Andrea show me around. This was incredible. Thank you. So I kind of injected the fact that I knew people there, not that I had a deep relationship with them, but I feel like that would have given me a little more leverage than any other cover letter that would have came in, which brings me to the question I wanted to ask, which is the right ways of reaching out and building these kinds of relationships. Because on the flip side, I have a lot of people that are reaching out to me saying, hey, I want to apply to Mind Valley. Do you have any advice? And I often get a little frustrated because they ask a lot of questions, yet they're not even applying. They're just asking questions and not like taking the leap. They're like, should I apply? And I'm like, well, do you want the job or not? Like you haven't even taken a step. You haven't even taken a risk. And so what could you share when it comes to the system you have, when it comes to reaching out to people within companies, what's the best way to build those relationships? I view relationship building sort of like a bank account where, you know, let's say we're using social dollars as our currency. It operates just like any other bank account. So let's say that you have an ask in mind, which is a referral or a 30 minute call for some advice or whatever it is, an introduction. Let's say that it costs you 20 social dollars. The big mistake that a lot of job seekers make is they go right for the withdrawal. They just say, yep, take out that 20 bucks. Let me make that ask. Can you refer me? Can you give me advice? Can you introduce me to so-and-so? And the problem is what happens when we overdraw our account, if we haven't made any deposits, if we don't have any money in the bank yet. And the overdraw is what happens with the real bank in the real world. What happens is you usually don't get a reply or worst case, you rub the person the wrong way and, and actually end up damaging the relationship before you even had a chance to build it. So what do we do instead? Well, we try to add value and we try to make deposits. And I think, you know, a lot of people know that relationships are based on value, but I think they blow the value out of proportion. Like they feel like they need to offer a game-changing piece of business advice or like introduce this person to some heavy hitter in their industry or whatever it is. And that couldn't be further from the truth. People are trying to swing for the fences and hit home runs with every touch point when really relationships are built in small layers. So when we look at somebody that we want to build a relationship with, the first instinct should be, you know, how can I make it about them? Because, you know, even if you get, let's say you're successful and you reach out to this person and you say, can you pass me along? And they say, yeah, no problem. Like, how strong is their referral really going to be? Like, how well can they really go to bat for you? And especially as you get to more highly sought after companies, your referrals become more and more table stakes where every applicant who's in consideration has one. And so if the referral is from somebody who's in, you know, you want to work as a software engineer, but the referral is from somebody in accounting or whatever it is, it's just not going to go quite as far. Or if the person doesn't know anything about you or your story, and that's the key. You know, if we can build that relationship first, if we can delay gratification a little bit, that is going to be so much more effective for us because one, the other person is going to be much more likely to refer us, but two, they're going to know our story. They're going to know us. You're going to have a rapport and they're going to be able to tap into that when they sell on your behalf, which is, that's a part of the sales process. And again, this is the sales process. So what does that look like? It starts with research and it really is about identifying a channel where you can feel like you can get a better response or where you can add value. And that could be a cold email that could be connecting with somebody or engaging with them on a platform where, you know, they're active if they're active on LinkedIn or Twitter, if they have a personal website. And so just by way of a couple of examples, 
with the proactivity. So let's say I wanted to connect with you and we had never met before. I've seen that you've posted a couple of times on LinkedIn. I also see that there's this podcast. And so what might I do? Well, maybe I leave a review on the podcast because if I just go do a quick Google for how do I market a podcast? And then the first thing that slaps me in the face is reviews are really helpful. And you're like, well, I can write a review. So I go write a review and I send you an email and I say, hey, Jason, you know, I really love the podcast, you know, especially this episode with Austin or Mark or whoever it is. Just to let you know, I left a review. I want to support you guys. You know, thanks for everything you do. Boom, done deal. And then, you know, I wait a little bit and then maybe I show up on one of your posts and I leave a comment and maybe you make that connection. Oh, Austin sent me an email. He left me a review. Now he's leaving a comment. I kind of, I like this guy. Each of those actions is me making a deposit. That's $1 here, $2 there. And if I do that enough, I get up to the point where if I ask you for a quick question or a piece of advice, you still may not answer me, but I think I have a much, much better chance of getting a reply from you after doing all those things up front than if I had just sent you a cold email out of the blue making this big ask. So that's one example, but obviously not everybody has a podcast. Not everybody you know, has this activity online. And there's a lot of other ways. One thing that I love to do is find people's, something in their background that really stands out. So if you're emailing me, Maybe you say, hey, Austin, I saw that you made this transition from healthcare to the tech space. And the fact that you made this transition and landed at Microsoft is really impressive. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a few questions about your journey. You're still making an ask, but you're making that ask about me. You're basically saying, hey, Austin, I've done my research on you. I'm showing you that I've done my research on you. And I'm interested to hear your story. I want to learn from you. That tends to play really well too. And then the last tactic is something that I call the advice triangle. And so essentially what this is, is if you want to start it cold with somebody you haven't connected with, look for what they're an expert in or what they want to be perceived as an expert in and ask them a quick question that is super easy to answer. Like, can they answer this question in 10 to 15 seconds? And the way that I found to be most effective is choose between A or B. So, you know, hey, so-and-so, I really admire your background in X field. I'm looking to do Y. Would you recommend that I do A or B? And they can literally just write back and say A or B. So for example, are you familiar with Neil Patel and Eric Sue? Have you heard of them? Yes, I am. Awesome. So they have a podcast called Marketing School, which I really like. And I emailed Eric and I was like, hey, Eric, like you guys talked about this growth tactic around writing and I want to implement it, but I'm conflicted about which direction to go. So I love your advice. All you have to do is say, we do A or we do B. And I wrote out A and I wrote out B. And he literally replied three words with no punctuation. We do A. And I was like, amazing. Eric replied to me like, I never expected that. So I went and I did A and I got a bunch of results. And then I went back to him and said, hey, Eric, I did A. Here's everything that came out of it. More traffic, more keywords, better rankings, all this stuff. And they actually ended up featuring me as a case study on their site because of it. And then we kept the relationship going. So what happens? You know, I asked for advice. I took action on the advice. I reported back and then I asked for more advice. And so that's the triangle right there. And I'm like doing the visual, but I know we're doing audio, so if people can envision it in their head, that's kind of the three-step process. And by doing that, you're basically saying, hey, your advice is valuable enough for me to take action on, but you're also positioning yourself as somebody who is willing to roll up their sleeves and go do this thing, which most people aren't willing to do. And so every time you come back and ask for more advice, this person is going to trust that you're going to go do it. So you're going to get better advice. And each of those cycles is going to be a new layer in the relationship. And this is actually how a lot of mentorships are formed. They're formed unofficially and they're formed through these kind of question and answers and then watching somebody grow as you're investing in them. So 
moral of the story, bottom line is getting creative about adding value to the other person and making it easy for them to reply and engage with you and engaging in the place where they are active and they want to be engaged with. If you kind of keep those things in mind with every person that you want to connect with, you're going to be so much more successful in your relationships, especially if you focus on giving before asking, like that is really the key that most people miss. Austin, you've shared with us so much information. This was such an action-packed interview. These are my kinds of interviews that I really love, which gives people that are listening a way to be able to take action and really apply this instantly. And for everybody who paid attention, we really dug into the two big shifts that have happened today. One of them is the fact that we're not all following a one career path that we have to decide when we're very young that fits within a box that we've all been familiarized with. There's a lot of possibilities. There's a lot for us to explore. And that exploration phase is definitely where you want to spend a lot of your attention here. Austin spoke about the ways that you can do that by seeing if you want to do a 30-day challenge by developing a skill within a place that you want to explore. Being able to connect with people that are in this industry, whether at an employment or whether they're just working at that field themselves, where you can try to build a connection with them and discover more about good and the bad about that industry. So you can move forward with a lot more accuracy as to if this is a passion that you want to pursue. Of course, this passion will not be what jolts you into action. Your action helps you discover your passion more and more. And so these are some possible actions that you can take if you're just at the exploration phase. Once you've decided that you wanted to go into a certain industry, you want to give a shot to some place, how do you find that dream job? Well, submitting resumes on a bunch of online applications really is like throwing that spaghetti on the wall. And as Austin has shared, only 2% of these applications actually get selected for an interview. It's a very low rate. You can do some things to optimize, such as recognizing what are the bullets within the application that gets recognized by these software. But really, the key seems to lie in building these relationships. I know for everyone here at Valley, you've been listening to us talking about this topic of building relationships and how important it is for absolutely everything you want in life. And of course, if you're familiar with me, you know that selling with love is the biggest thing I love to advocate. And so here, finding the job, getting those relationship bills is a sales process as well. Don't go out there and just take to know that you want to be able to make that deposit first. How do you do that? Well, three amazing techniques were shared by Austin here, such as go out there and see if you can provide value. Of course, if any of you want to connect with me, do follow Austin's advice and leave a review on Apple Review and send me an email about leaving that review. You hit the nail on the head. If you would do that, Austin, I would be ready to help you so much because this is the biggest thing that I want to drive as a podcaster. And so find what are the little things that you can do to add value for the person whenever you reach out to them. And it doesn't need to be the one amazing business solution that changes everything. A small thing that they can implement, even if it's like finding a typo on the website and then helping them correct is something that I know I've done before, which adds value and is really cool. The second way is really making sure you take the time to study them. And when you ask them a question, you show that you really find their answer relevant and show that you've done the homework. It helps us make us feel more significant. It makes us feel like, hey, this person took the time to invest in me. So why don't I give something back? And thirdly, I love this advice triangle. This is such a powerful technique. But when you ask for this advice, there's two things to keep in mind that I heard from Austin here. One, make the ask so simple that it's easy for the person to reply. And number two, take 
action on that advice. So many times it gets so frustrating when people ask for advice, but then they don't take a single action on it. And this will be the quickest way to burn a relationship and being like, why should I give advice if this person doesn't take action? I think Austin, you are living what you teach. I follow you on LinkedIn and everyone listening should also do the same because what you've been putting together, how your journey has been continuously growing and doing epic things. I know that you are there providing massive value for everyone, such as what you've just done to my audience today. So thank you so much for your time. This was incredible. And for everybody tuning in, thank you so much. And until next time. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.